Well, good morning, church. I'm excited you decided to join us this morning uh, for our first week on a brand new series. Uh, called, uh, it's a four-week series called A Living Lesson on Forgiveness. A Living Lesson on Forgiveness. Uh, from the book of Philemon in the New Testament. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I got I to say, I forgot to mention this during the announcements, is that our services, starting next week, our services are going to be... Uh, are going to be on YouTube. The whole service is going to begin to be in YouTube starting next week. You're going to get all the songs, the music, everything. So those people who are uh, who are watching us right now live, uh, they just need to know that there's no more waiting. You guys are not going to have to be waiting until, okay, when is the service really going to start? Uh, they're always wondering, you know, when is that service going to start? So, no, the music is going to be played all the way from the beginning to end. We're going to be doing the transmission. We're going to be transmitting the, the service uh, in, uh, on YouTube from now on. Uh, and before we start, I, wanna, uh, I, wanna, I want you to remember that we are here. We are here helping people experience the hope found in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what Hope City Church is all about. You, as part of Hope City Church, you got to be aware that every time we come together, every time we walk anywhere around this community, we are here to help people experience the hope that they can only find in the life-changing relationship with Jesus. That is our mission. So Philemon, new study, new lesson on Philemon, a living lesson on forgiveness. How many of, uh, of you here today have ever needed forgiveness? You know, probably all of us at some point or another, we have offended somebody. Sometimes we offend people without even realizing we have offended somebody. Maybe we said the wrong thing. Maybe we did the wrong thing without even realizing we were hurting somebody. Sometimes we do, we do, we do dumb stuff even though we know we're doing something wrong. Sometimes we hurt people, and it's, it's, it might be, it might not be our intention to do that. But a lot of us have, have been at that point where we are in need of forgiveness. And you most likely, at one point or another, we also offend God, and we do that very often. And we offend God because of what we do, what we think, or, or something we said, and we offend God, and we feel that we need that, we need that forgiveness, and still we experience God's grace and forgiveness in our lives. Because He is so patient and loving with us. I remember when I was 12 years old, and I got, when I was 12 years old, I was playing soccer for the school team, and, uh, and I, was, I got hit by a bus. So I got hit by a bus, by a bus, and I was uh, I was on I was home for three months. Couldn't go to school. Couldn't play. I had a cast on my leg for three months. I couldn't play. Uh, it was my last. It was my last year of elementary in elementary uh, playing soccer. And mentally, the accident left me. I, I was not okay. I had a cast on my leg, and I had to walk with crutches, and that was horrible. It was tiring. And, and I had some of those uh, wood made, uh, you know, they, they were made out of wood. And it was really hard to get around. And my oldest sister had become like, like a mother to us. She actually took the place of mom and dad in a home. And my oldest sister was only 17, 18 years old at that time. 
and, and he had to, had to take responsibility of us. And I remember that I was watching TV and I was not doing okay. I couldn't sleep well because everything that was going on, when I got hit by a bus, it, it didn't just break my leg, but it also hit my head. And a lot of things were going on. So sometimes if you see that I wander around, you will, that, that explains it, right? So don't, 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 don't worry. It just, I got hit by a bus in the head too. So, uh, so didn't, uh, uh, what my sister did is my sister tried to change the channel of the TV and I had my leg with the cast on top of a table. And when my sister tried to change it, accidentally, I, I was going to say, no, don't change it. But when I did that, I did, I did it in a way that I hit my sister in the face. And I felt bad, but I was so bitter. And I was so angry because I couldn't do things that I wanted to do because of the accident. I had been a top scorer for the last two years before that. And now the last year where I was going to say goodbye to the school, I couldn't play anymore. And so I was angry. I was just bitter. I, I didn't want to hear about anybody. I couldn't go to school and see my friends. And I hit my sister in the face, and she had become like a mom. She was taking care of us. She was working two jobs. And I remember that instead of asking for forgiveness to my sister, I remember, I remember not talking to my sister for four months. I was a little kid. I was 12 years old. How can a 12-year-old be so bitter, be so angry at life? Well, a part of it was my parents were going through a divorce. When they went through divorce, it, it, it all piled up on the kids. Especially my, my, my younger sister and I. We were the younger ones of the four. But I remember when I was off the cast, I went, back, I went back to a church that I had visited in the past. And I will never forget, the guy who was preaching was a, a young man. His name was Mauricio. Mauricio was preaching a sermon on First John. I was 12 years old, and I'm listening to this sermon in the church. And when the sermon in the church was on First John, talking about loving your brother, and make sure if you have offended somebody, you have to ask for forgiveness, because that's what God wants you to do. I felt so convicted. I got back home that day, and when I went back home, I looked at my sister. I didn't know how to do this, right? Four months have passed. My sister is providing food. My sister is providing care. My sister is looking after us. She's making breakfast every morning so we can eat breakfast. My other sister will go to school and then she would stay and then she would go to work. And I looked at her and I said, would you forgive me? I wasn't even done with would you forgive me when my sister was running fast towards me. And she hugged me. I'm talking to you about my sister who died last year. And I remember she hugged me and she told me, You have no idea how I wake up every day waiting for you to tell me that you love me and that you were sorry. And a lot of times, we as human beings don't understand the effect of the lack of forgiveness in our lives. I was a prisoner of my anger. I was hurting myself, but I was also hurting my sister. And it's because most human beings don't understand the, the effect and the lack of forgiveness, forgiveness that it has in, in our lives. Being hurt by someone, particularly someone you love, someone you trust, 
can cause anger, sadness, confusion. If you dwell on a hurtful events or situation, grudges filled with resentment and hostility can take root in your life, in your heart. If you allow negative feelings to crawl out the positive feelings in your heart, you might find yourself swallowed up by the bitterness and the sense of injustice. There was a study that was done in, uh, uh, you know, on lack of forgiveness that, that it shows the effects, the holding a grudge. Have you ever met anybody like that? Have you ever met anybody? I'm, I'm sure not, not you. But have you ever met somebody who holds a grudge? In this study, it shows that if you struggle with finding forgiveness, you might bring anger and bitterness into a new relationship and experiences in your life. If you struggle with finding forgiveness in your heart, you might become so wrapped up in the wrong, in the wrong that was done to you, that you cannot enjoy the present. So you cannot enjoy the present because you're so wrapped up in the past, in the hurt. If you struggle with finding forgiveness, you might become depressed, irritable, anxious. You might feel at odds with your spiritual beliefs at some point. You, you lose valuable and enriching, enriching connections with other people. Because of bitterness, because, because you struggle in finding forgiveness in your life. And that's why God encourages us to forgive each other the way He has forgiven us. When the Apostle Paul writes the book to Philemon, I can imagine just, the, the Apostle Paul wrote three books also from the same place he wrote the book of Philemon's. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. He's writing these books known as the prison epistles. And he wrote full books for these three churches, but he writes a personal note between those books. He writes a personal note letting Philemon know how important it is to learn to forgive. If we don't learn to forgive, we are prisoners of ourselves. We are prisoners of our bitterness. That's why God encourages us to forgive each other the way He has forgiven us. All, of all human qualities, let me, let me tell you this. Of all human qualities that make men in any sense like God, none is more divine than forgiveness. When do you, when do you look more like God? When you forgive. Because God is a God of forgiveness. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God identifies Himself as a God of forgiveness. This is what Exodus 34 says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, and this is the Lord speaking of Himself, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. Listen what it says, Slow to anger and abounded in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. God is a God of forgiveness. He says, I am God. I, I, I am the God of forgiveness. That is who I am. That's what God says. 
Solomon also said in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11, it, 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 it is a man's glory to overlook transgression. It is a man's glory to be able to forgive others. Man is never more like God than when he forgives. Now the theme of forgiveness is obvious. Uh, it's obvious throughout the scripture and, and is emphasized in scripture. But, but there, are some, so, there are some places in scripture when forgiveness is even more emphasized. It, it's, it's, it's in God. It, it, God. God puts it in bold letters. One of these places may be um, a place familiar to you guys. It is the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that, so I'm just going to make reference to the story. We're not going to read it because we're not going to have enough time. But I'm going to make reference to the story. Here, here is a father with two sons. And one of his sons asked for his inheritance. He was weary of being at the father's house and wanted to go and leave on his own and take all his inheritance. And he did that. He left the house, wasted all, his, uh, all the money, all his sustenance. He wasted all in sin. He didn't even waste it in good stuff. He wasted it in sin. And then, when he reached the low point of life, wanted to come back home and be only a servant in his father's house. Because being a servant in his father's house was much, much better than what he had become. He was eating with the pigs at somebody else's house. The son was not unlikely, uh, you know, like many sons, it, it, you know, they were, he was greedy, anxious uh, to get his sense on the well that he had not earned, humanly foolish in the way he had spent uh, all this money on the fast living with those who exploited him and left him in misery when his money ran out. Because when money ran out, they left him. They were not his friends. They were only his friends while he had money. But after he had no money, they left. They, they just ditched him. But slowly he came to his senses. Because he was dying of hunger in a, in a pig state that really mirrored his life. He was living like a pig at some point. Then came the awakening and he said to himself, In my father's house, the servants eat better. The servants live better. Maybe I should get up and go to my father's house, he said. And it seems in the story that the prodigal son, that the young man did not expect to be forgiven by the father. He didn't expect to be forgiven. He just said, I'm going to go. And, and, you know, if my father has some tolerance, he might just let me be one of the servants. I'm not worthy of being called his son. I'm not expecting forgiveness. I, I don't think I'm going to get forgive, forgiveness. I forfeited my right. You know, I, all I really want is a roof over my head. And all I want is a little better food than a pig slop. Because that's what, what he was eating. And so he started on the road back. This is beautiful. And it is then when Jesus teaches how to forgive. The father didn't even wait for the son to get there. Did you know that? Did you, have you paid attention to the part of the story? The father didn't even wait for the son to get there. The father ran to the son. He ran to him. When he saw him in the distance, his words were not unkind words. The Bible says that he fell on his neck and starts kissing him repeatedly, repeatedly kissing his son. And so Jesus tells us that the heart, that, 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 that is the heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
It is eager. It is not reluctant. He doesn't even wait for the sinner to arrive, for that person who has offended you. No, the father runs to that person who has offended the father. In fact, when you see him coming far away, you run to meet him and you embrace him and kiss him. And when he starts to say he's sorry, the father is not even listening to that. The father said, bring the better clothes, bring the new clothes, start the party, get the meat out, we're going to throw a barbecue. Get the best clothes for him. The father is so eager to forgive the son. The father is so desiring to, 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 to have his son back. He's so happy to have his son back. So he's more ready to forgive him. That's how God forgives, Jesus said. That's how He wants us to forgive one another. From that story we learn that how God forgives. His forgiveness is, He's eager to forgive. He's totally uh, ready to forgive us. And, 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 and it is of any wonder on basis of that, that when Jesus taught us to pray, He also said in Matthew chapter 6, He, told, he reminded the disciples to say, Forgive us. Our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Those words really put our feet to the fire. Because I'm telling God, forgive me because I forgive others. These words tell us that God's forgiveness of us is based on our forgiveness of others. If I am not willing to forgive, God says, I will not be forgiven. James puts it in this way, in chapter 2, verse 13 of James. There will be a judgment without mercy for those who have not been merciful themselves. It will be a tough, it will be a hard judgment if you decide not to have mercy when God has had mercy on you. Or, or, or take it in a positive note, the Beatitudes, chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 7. In one of the Beatitudes it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they should obtain, what? Mercy. If you are merciful, you are blessed. Because you will also obtain mercy. You want mercy? Give it. You want forgiveness? Give it and forgive like God forgives. But a lot of times we want those things from other people, but we're not willing to give it. And a lot of times we think we forgive people, but when the moment comes, when the moment less expected comes, we bring it up again. When you bring it up, you have not forgiven that person. Forgiveness is a commitment. It's not that you're going to forget about it. It's not that you're never going to remember again the hurt that that other person did to you. Forgiveness is making a commitment that you're not going to bring it up again. You're not going to throw it in their face. That is forgiveness. For you're never more like God than when you forgive. You want mercy? Give it. You want forgiveness? Give it and forgive like God does. For you're never more like God when, than when you forgive. Listen again to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 12. 
When he continued to teach him how to pray, he says, And forgive, our, forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who sins against us. And verse 14 and 15 also said, For if you forgive men their, their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You don't forgive. It's a simple it's, it's a basic thing in life. You don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. Jesus was clear in his teaching about the importance of forgiveness of, to others. Now when Paul was in his first Roman imprisonment, I just mentioned it before, he, he wrote several letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and then Philemon was a little note in between these letters. But in the letters he wrote from prison, he also made an emphasis on forgiveness. And Ephesians and Colossians, it's, it's the ones that are more interested to us because it has a lot to do with Philemon. And in both Ephesians and Colossians, there is a major emphasis on the matter of forgiveness. It's not just Jesus teaching on forgiveness, but now it's also Paul teaching in the Scriptures, teaching principles to the churches about forgiveness. For example, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, uh, 32, here the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian believers, and of course, to the to the the letters that were sent to these churches were letters that were supposed to be shared with other churches. And then he says, he tells the believers in the church of Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two: "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted." Here, here is the same principle: forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgive each other. It's hard for a lot of people to give that forgiveness. It's hard. But how can I let go? She hurt me. He hurt me. How can I let go just like that? In Colossians chapter 3 verse 13, the, the, the letter written to the church in Colossae, uh, it circulates to the other church, including the church of Laodicea, and no doubt other churches there. He says, we are to be bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. We are to be, yeah, we are to be putting with one another. That's what Paul's basically saying. You, we're supposed to be putting with one another, put up with one another, but don't just put up with one another. Also forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you do the same. When we make a mistake, we like to be forgiven. But when somebody offends us and hurts us, we hold a grudge. It's easy to hold a grudge. Now, if you, if you pull all these verses together, what Jesus said and what Paul said, there is a clear idea that God is a forgiving God. And you are to be forgiving people because you belong to God. Because God has forgiven you, God is saying, if I forgive you, you ought to forgive others. That is basic. That is basic. We should all know that. The question is not, do we know it? The question is, do we live it? Do we practice it? In fact, God has forgiven you, Paul says, so you should forgive. That, that is one principle. But the other principle here is, the other one is, God won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. 
And so on the one hand, Scripture says God will forgive you and you, if you forgive. And the other hand, it says God won't forgive you if you don't forgive. And so what you're doing, if you don't forgive, you violate the relationship, the fellowship that you can enjoy with God. You violate the relationship and the fellowship that you can have with God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, 21, all the way through 25, He says, if you have an issue with a person, don't pretend to come and worship. I mean, read it yourself. It says, let's go to Matthew, uh, there, we, there we are. He says, have you, you, you have heard the men were told long ago, you must not, what? Kill another person. They thought you had to go physically kill a person. And Jesus says, no, that's not what the Bible, that's not what the Word is talking about. You must not kill another person. It's not talking about physically. If someone does kill, he will be guilty and will be punished for his wrongdoing. But Jesus said, let me, let me, let me, let me explain to you what I mean by that. But I tell you that whoever is angry with his brother, will be guilty. So whoever is angry with his brother and doesn't reconcile, it already, he already killed that other person. Because that person becomes a guilty person and, have to, and that person has to suffer for his wrongdoing. Whoever says to his brother, you have no brains, in other words, you're dumb, you're stupid. Whoever ha- says to his brother, you have no brains, will, uh, w- will have to stand in front of the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be sent to the fire of hell. In other words, the problem that Jesus was trying, that the thing that Jesus was trying to fix here, is the wrong teachings from, the, uh, from some of the Pharisees that were saying, you gotta, if you kill physically, you're guilty. Jesus says, no, if you kill in your heart. If you kill in your heart and you're angry and you have things against these people, you have already become a murderer. And if you take your gift, so you, you have hatred, you have anger, you have issues against other people, and then you come and you bring your gift of worship and you bring your gift, uh, you, you bring your offerings and you bring everything to the Lord on a Sunday, on the Lord's day, and you're saying, you know, Lord, Lord, I worship you. But I can't stand that person. I love you, Lord. I hate him. He says, if you take your gift to the altar, and remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift on the altar, go and make it right. Go make right what's wrong between you and him. Then, come back and give your gift. God will not accept it. You're singing for yourself. You're wasting your money if you're giving money and you have something against somebody. Because God is not accepting that. God says, put it away. Go fix your problem with another human being that you have with. Do your part to fix it. And then come back and worship me. Then I will accept your worship. In other words, the scripture is saying that if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And that, 
you know, you, you have violated that relationship, that fellowship that you can enjoy with God because you don't forgive others. The Lord has forgiven all of us, all of our sins. So therefore, Paul says, we should forgive each other. And if we don't, we are going to be chastened by God. Plain and simple message, right? Plain and simple message. Now, this principle is given very clear. Uh, is given a very clear perspective in Matthew 18. And, and I'm using this as an introduction to Philemon. You, you, you might be thinking, so how, what does this have to do with Philemon? You'll see. You'll see. But now this principle is given in a very clear perspective in Matthew 18. And, and I want to take you there. And we're going to do this. Um, we're going to get right to Philemon in a minute. But I want you to show you. I want to show you Matthew 18. How this principle illustrates. It's illustrated in this parable. Matthew 18. Peter says to the Lord. If somebody sins against me. Verse 21. And if and if I forgive him, how many times do I do that? Notice that Peter is asking the question and answering his own question, right? Because the rabbis used to say, you have to forgive three times. So Peter said, I'm going to look good with the Lord. I'm going to look good. Lord, how many times do I have to do it? Seven? Peter thinks he's smarter. And he's coming ahead, right? He's coming up front. And so Peter thought he was being just very generous. And Jesus said in verse 22 of Matthew 18, I do not say to you up to seven times, Peter. You also got it wrong. But I'm telling you, you have to forgive 70 times seven. You know what 70 times seven is? 490, right? So 490 times, does any of you ever keep a record like a book, he offended me, number one, number two, number three, 399, 400. You can never do that. What Jesus was trying to say is, you have to forgive without counting. And, and then he tells, he t- and then after Jesus says, Peter, you have to forgive 70 times 7. And right after he says that, then he gives an illustration. He talks about a parable. Or story that he makes up. He makes up the story to make a point. And it is a parable that illustrates uh, God and the sinner. And, and the king or, or the Lord in the parable is God. And the man who owns him big money, the debt that he has is the sinner. And, and so he says in Matthew 18 verse 23, The kingdom of heaven then may be compared to a certain king, that is God, who wished to settle accounts with his servants or slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there, there was, there was uh, brought to him one who owned him 10,000 talents. In money, in translation at that time, that is an unpayable debt. There was no way that person could ever pay that debt. It was a massive debt. He could never pay that debt. And then the, the text keeps on saying, Since he didn't have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The debt was so much that at least the Lord was saying, You know what, at least I'll get some money out of this. 
Sell all his family, sell all his belongings, and whatever you guys get, get you know, at least I'll get something. Well, if I can get at least something of what he owns me, I'll be, it'll be fine. But send, sell everybody. And the servant, in verse 26, it says that the servant, falling down on his face in front of the king, he said, give me time. Give me time and I will pay you all the money. So the servant at this moment had the right heart and he had the willing spirit. He had a willing spirit to pay, to repay, even though... He couldn't pay everything. He knew that was impossible. In verse 27, the Lord, the Lord of the servant felt compassion and released him and forgive him of his debt. Forgive, him, forgive his debt completely. And that is God to us. God has forgiven a debt that we can never repay. We can never pay him back. When the, sinners come, when the sinner comes before God and is convicted of his unpayable debt, he's convicted about his sin, and God tells him, you have no means to pay me what you owe me. But the God, God the King, is compassionate and He forgives. And now he, here comes the point, verse 28. The servant goes out and he's happy because he's been forgiven, completely forgiven. And as he goes out being forgiven, the servant goes out and he just being forgiven. And at the moment he steps out, he sees his fellow slave, his fellow servant, his friend, his buddy, who owns him a hundred denarii. That was only a hundred days wages uh, worth of wedges. Only a hundred days. With a hundred days that that guy worked, he could pay him back. But the debt he had with the Lord before, he could never pay it back. And he was forgiven that debt. You wouldn't think this guy was going to forgive him, right? But no, he took, he, he got a hold of his neck. He was choking him. Saying, pay back what you owe me. And, and the people who were, who were there, they were watching this guy acting, reacting this way. And they, they got angry. They were angry. They couldn't believe what they were hearing because they knew that he had just been forgiven. He had just been forgiven. And, and so verse 29 says, the other servants, got, got down, the other servant, the one he was being, who was being choked, got down at his feet and said, have patience with me. Have patience. Give me time and I will pay you all the money. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't be, he, he, he didn't want to wait. He had him put in prison until he could pay the money. This is unthinkable. This is unthinkable because this is God forgiving us. And a lot of times other people make less offenses to us and we don't want to forgive them. Here is a man who has been forgiven a massive debt, who turns around who, to, some, to someone who owes him a lot less. Verse 31 says that when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and report to their Lord all that had happened. Then the king called for the first one. He called the servant back again and said, You bad servant, I forgave you. I said that you would not have to pay back any of the money you owe me because you asked me. Should you not have had pity on the other servant even as I had pity on you? 
I forgive you. Shouldn't you forgive? And here's the principle. You want mercy from God? You show mercy. You want forgiveness from God? You show forgiving. The king was very angry. And, 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 and he told the servant, you should have forgiven the other one too. What a story. This story that Jesus, that Jesus is talking about it, it is so severe that, that there are many pe people who conclude that the principle Jesus teaches couldn't possibly be, be applied to a Christian life, but it does. It applies to the Christian life because the man who wouldn't forgive the servant was a forgiven man. And if he, was, he had been forgiven, God had already forgiven him, so he was supposed to also forgive the other person who owe him a lot less. But what it tells us is that the Lord will sometimes deal very harshly with His own children who will not forgive someone else. Why? Because the Lord said in verse 33, 30, 30, uh, 33 He says, so, um, I'm sorry, let's see. He tells, he tells us in the next verses, He tells them, Put him in jail. Torture him. In other words, he'll pay the consequence. He'll pay the consequence for not forgiving his brother. And um, in Hebrews chapter 12, God says that the Lord disciplines those whom him he loves. Christians then are to forgive. That is the principle taught in Scripture. That is the principle illustrating the character of God in, the, in this parable of the prodigal son and in the parable that He's giving now about the servant, the unforgiving servant. And so there is a principle in the Scripture and is that you are never more like God than when you forgive other people. And such a forgiveness should come easy because it should be a natural response it should be a natural response of a believer. When we are offended, we know we have offended God way more than what anybody can offend us. And so we should be willing to forgive others. So now, the priority of forgiveness is not only given in Scripture in principle, as Jesus was doing it in these two stories, in the prodigal son and in the uh, unforgiving servant. It is not given in the Scripture by the Apostle Paul when he told the Ephesians in the Colossian church. But it is also given in the Scripture in, a personal, in personal terms. And that is where Philemon comes in. That is where Paul comes and writes to Philemon, writes his letter. And when he writes his letter, there is a reason why Philemon, there is a reason why we, we saw the principles Jesus is teaching and we saw the principles Paul is teaching. So Paul is basically echoing the words of Jesus and the words that he also wrote to the other two churches, telling Philemon, Philemon, I'm writing this letter to you. I'm writing this letter to you. And, and, and there is, uh, this is, now, uh, the two stories that Jesus used, the, the prodigal son, and in the story of Matthew 18 about the unforgiving servants, He made up those stories to make a point. He made up those stories as an illustration to make a point of the need of forgiveness. But now when Paul writes to Philemon, this is a true story. 
Now, it's now not just what's written, but now this is what's practical. So we can never say, oh man, this thing about forgiveness, uh, there are some things that are easy to forgive, there are other things that are not easy to forgive. No, Paul tells Philemon, if you are a believer, since you are a believer, since you have faith and you have love and you have shown that over and over, it should be a natural thing for you to forgive because you have been forgiven. This is a true story. Here comes the parable and the principle, and now here comes the story, the true story. Why Philemon? Because Philemon had a situation where he was to forgive someone who had done, who had done him wrong. A servant who ran away from Philemon's house. And when he ran away from Philemon's house, he didn't just run away from his house. He also stole stuff from Philemon. And now the, the Apostle Paul says, So see, what Jesus was telling you before, you forgive because you've been forgiven. What I was telling the other churches, you forgive because you, you've been forgiven. Just like God forgave you, you're supposed to forgive. Now I'm telling you, this is Philemon. This is now where you're going to put it in practice. The guy who ran away, the guy who had offended Philemon, his name was Onesimus. Just please don't name your kids those names. Don't name him Philemus, don't name him Onesimus, and some of the other names over here. And Paul writes in Philemon chapter 1, only chapter, verse 1, it's only 25 verses. That's why I believe Paul, in the middle of writing all the letters, he's just writing this extra note. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, hold on, let me make a little note to my friend, my co-worker Philemon. And he says, this letter is from Paul. That's how he starts. This letter is from Paul. So I can imagine because Paul sent Onesimus, the guy who had offended Philemon. He sent him with this letter. I can imagine Onesimus stepping at the door, knocking on the door, and say, here, here you go, here you go, master. And Philemon opening that letter and looking at Onesimus, maybe Philemon at that moment, I don't know what his feelings were like, but he was offended. He was offended by Onesimus. He had been hurt by Onesimus. And he opens the letter and the first thing he says, this letter is from Paul. Now Onesimus, I mean Philemon was one of the leaders in the church. He had a church in his own house. So this is the interesting thing about this letter. Well, I'll tell you that. In a, no, actually, I'll tell you that right now because if not, I'll forget. When Philemon has this servant and this slave and runs away and steals from him, he lives in one area and he goes, Onesimus runs away. Paul had brought, had brought to, the, to, the, to the feet of Christ Philemon. He led him to Christ. Then he discipled him and he was leading a church in his house, Philemon. Then Onesimus runs away, and runs away hundreds and hundreds of kilometers far away from the house of Philemon in Colossae. And he runs away, and he ends up in Rome. But here's the interesting thing. God, God is such an amazing God. God led Onesimus, as he's running away, led him to the Apostle Paul. Guess where Paul was? Paul was in a house arrest. Paul was in prison in Rome. And all the way from Colosset, he runs away and ends up over there. And so the Apostle Paul didn't just let Philemon to the Lord, but now 
Onesimus gets there and he says, well, I'm running away. Uh, uh, I heard you're Paul. Uh, is that your name? Yeah, I'm the Apostle Paul. I can imagine Onesimus talking to Paul and Paul sharing the gospel with Onesimus and Onesimus repents and comes to the knowledge of Christ. He had to run away and the same guy led them both to the Lord. Now Paul says, I'm writing this letter to you. I'm sending him back. Notice that when somebody repents, there is action to be taken if you truly repent. When you less suspect that a lot of times your past is going to catch up with you. And we have to, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness. God is ready to forgive us. And here, Paul says, here is the letter I'm sending you. Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy. And then he tells him, this is, I'm writing to you, Philemon, our beloved co-worker. And to our sister Aphia. And to our fellow soldier Archippus. See, don't name it. Don't use those names, please. Sometimes people say, I want to name my kids biblical names. Please don't just use, don't, just don't use those. And, and to the church that meets in your house. So he's sending a letter to Philemon, but he wants other people to know that he wrote this letter. He's expecting Philemon to be accountable to be able to forgive Onesimus. So there's accountability. What is the purpose? I guess I should, I should do at least a little bit more of a brief background on this. This epistle was written from the Apostle Paul in his first imprisonment. And he keeps on telling, he keeps on telling in the letter in verse 1, verse 3, verse 7, verse 13, verse 22, verse 23. He keeps on saying, I'm in prison. You know, I'm in prison because... I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And so, uh, this book is written uh, uh, probably around 60 or 61 AD during Nero is the emperor of Rome at that time. And the Young Jesus movement, it's about in its third decade. Um, It's a young movement at that time. The Christianity had just begun. uh, 30 years maybe the most. And so Paul is going to be writing a letter to Philemon, who is the leader of the church in Colossae. Onesimus has run away, a slave and servant that ran away, and he's running away. And he runs into the city of Rome, and it's just amazing how he finds, he lay, he, he, he ends up in the hands of Paul, and Paul shares the gospel with him. God wanted to do something amazing there. And Paul is writing to Philemon, at the same time, and he sends the letter uh, to Philemon and says, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you to show kindness. So it is me, Paul, who is writing to you. I'm writing to you, to your wife, and I'm writing to the church in your house. And the reason I'm writing to you, verse 10, is because I want to appeal to you to show kindness. To show kindness to who? To show kindness to my child Onesimus. So I can imagine Philemon being surprised. Oh, so he came. So he's a Christian now. I, I, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. So Philemon was there with the Apostle Paul. And then he writes all 25 verses. And we are going to finish this morning by reading all those 25 verses. Because it is important for us to know the context. 
This letter is from Paul, starting in verse 1, and you have it in your outlines. A prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, I'm writing to you, Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love and for all God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Notice one thing that he keeps on, he keeps on telling Philemon, I'm appealing to your faith. I'm appealing to your love for you to forgive. For you to do what I'm, ask, what I'm gonna, about to ask you to do. Verse 7. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother. For your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. And in verse 8, he continues to say, That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. This is a nice way of the Apostle Paul saying it, right? Even though, he says, I could demand it in the name of Christ, because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, and all men, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while in prison. Onesimus has, been, has not been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I want to keep him here with me while I'm in this chains for the preaching of the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't. I want to do I, I don't want to do anything without your consent. I want you to help. I want your help because you were willing not um, not because you were forced to do it, but because you were willing. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's not longer a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for he's a beloved brother, especially to me. You, you see how, because of forgiveness, how a relationship can change also? Especially to me now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you're welcoming me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. <coughs> and I won't mention that you own me your own very soul. Paul's basically telling him, I brought you to the feet of Christ. You owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask you and even more. 
One more thing he says. Please, prepare a guest room for me. So in other words, Paul is saying, I'm expecting you to forgive Philemon. I'm expecting you to forgive Onesimus. But I'm not just expecting you to forgive Onesimus. I'm not just expecting you to act like a Christian. But I will get there. Once I'm free, I'll see you there. Prepare me a room. Because I'm coming. I'm coming and, and hoping that God will answer the prayers that will let me return soon to you guys. And then he does his final greetings and tells, tells him, you know, these are the people who are here with me. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with, you, with your spirit. Onesimus was a slave, a servant in Philemon's house. And he had offended him by running away. So now Paul is telling Philemon, because of your love and of your faith, this is the way you should respond. You should treat him as a brother. You should love him. You should treat him as you're treating me, like if you were treating me. Receive him as, as if you're receiving me. Love him as you love me. He was useless, but now he's useful to you. As a matter of fact, Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useful. And in verse 11, Paul says, he was useless, but now he's useful. So there is a change because he has come to the knowledge of Christ. And now he's got to be, he, he's, he's just, he just wants to make, Paul just wants to make sure that there is also that same transformation that happened in Philemon and in Onesimus will allow or will help Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And I'm praying that, he says in verse 6, I'm praying you will put into action the generosity. I'm praying you will forgive him. I'm praying that your faith, your faith is so strong that you have experienced this faith and you have all these good things in Christ. In other words, you have been forgiven in Christ. In verse 7, he appeals to his love. Your love has given me a lot of comfort. You're a kind person, he says in verse 7. And because of that kindness, because of your love, I'm expecting you to forgive Onesimus. And, and notice that Paul doesn't force, he does not force Philemon to do this. Because it should be a normal, it should be a natural thing for a believer to forgive somebody. In verse 6 he says, the generosity that comes from your faith. Verse 7, because of your love. Verse 7, because of your kindness. That is why I'm boldly asking you as a favor. I'm asking you this as a favor to you, of you. He is appealing to Philemon for forgiveness of, of Onesimus based on his love, based on his faith, based on his kindness. Shouldn't those be qualities of every Christian? Shouldn't every Christian have the quality of faith? Shouldn't every Christian show the quality of love? Isn't that our first value in our church? Shouldn't every Christian be a kind person just like Jesus is kind? So it shouldn't be hard for us to forgive others. And so basically what we're going to do in the next three weeks, three weeks that we have ahead of us, is we are going to look at, today we just did the introduction to Philemon. And what we're going to be doing after that is we're going to be talking about, you know, that um, what is the character of a person who forgives? What are the actions of a person who forgives? And what are the blessings of a person who forgives? We are going to be talking about those three things. Um, but so we can finish this today.
I just want to give you a few things that we learned this first week in our series on forgiveness. And the first one is Jesus was clear when he says God is a forgiving God and you are to forgive people just as God has forgiven you. A principle about forgiveness that we cannot ignore. Number two, if you don't forgive, God will not accept your worship. Matthew chapter 5. You are, you are to go and reconcile before you offer worship to the Lord. Or at least you are to do your part. Number three. Forgiveness should be, should be a natural response of a child of God. It, cannot be, it shouldn't be forced on anybody. Have you ever heard a person when they... As your brother, say, say you're sorry. You have your kids and you're making them say sorry to each other, right? It's something you cannot force. It's got to be a natural response of a believer. Number four. Forgiveness adds value to a person. In verse 11 of this letter, it says that Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful. So forgiveness is making him a useful person. Number five, forgiveness is available to all because Jesus paid the tab. The Apostle Paul said, you know, if he owes you anything, I'll pay you. Even though you owe me even more than that. I'll pay you. So Jesus paid for us. So why can we not forgive others? Number six, forgiveness brings transformation in a relationship. It changes the heart. How? Verse, verse 16, it says, He is no longer like a slave to you. Because of forgiveness, Philemon, I'm asking you to treat him different. Your relationship has been transformed. Your relationship shouldn't be the same as you forgive a person. Your relationship has been transformed. For he is a beloved brother. So forgiveness transforms people. Transformation. Is it real in your life? Is it real in your life? Because if transformation is real in your life, you should have no problem forgiving another person. Transformation. In 1965, Kathy was a junior in high school. And Steve, her younger brother, was a freshman. Uh, they grew up without a dad. Her dad had been killed in the mission field. It was, how he, it was how, he, how he was killed that is so unusual. This was Kathy and Steve Sane. The daughter of the son, uh, the daughter and the son of Nate Sane. A lot of us know about Jim Elliot, but a lot of us don't have not heard the name Nate Sane. He was one of the guys that was with Jim Elliot when the Alka Indians killed him in the jungles of Ecuador, and they killed him in the Little River, and uh, they uh, they speared them and. Um, and they killed him there. And now Kathy and her brother have come to know the Lord. And they wanted to be baptized. 
in the exact same place where her dad, where their dad was killed. So their aunt, who stayed with the Indians, the Alca Indians in Ecuador, translating the Bible, made all the arrangements. So Kathy and her younger brother, Steve, flew down there, got on the boat, went into the jungle, got to the place, exact place, where the dad and Jim Elliot and all the other missionaries were killed. And they were ready to be baptized. And then you see that when they're ready to be baptized, there is this group of Indians from the tribe, from the Alcas, that are coming in a boat. And there's some of the Alca Indians that are going to get baptized. They're in the same spot where they killed the missionaries that later on brought them to the feet of Christ. Now, some of these Alca Indians at this point, they, already, they have already come to, know the, to the knowledge of the Lord. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are preachers now. But they started by killing the missionaries that were sharing the gospel with them. So when they, uh, they get there, two Indians in particular stepped into the river that day to baptize Kathy and Steve. They were the exact two Indians who had speared their dad to death. And killed their father. And one of those old Indians... That day, he prayed after he baptized Kathy and Steve and said, Father God, for the last, time we, uh, the last time we came here, we did a thing that was not pleasing to you. But today, what we did here, we know it was pleasing to you. Kathy and Steve have forgiven the people that killed their father and the other missionaries and they were baptized by those people in the same spot in the river where they were killed. Forgiveness brings real transformation. Transformation through forgiveness. You want to give it a shot? Forgive people. Don't hold back. Because it would only hurt you more than it would more than it would hurt the other person. Father, we come before you this morning, and we're so thankful, Lord, that you have forgiven us. We are so thankful that you don't look at our our past sin. We are so thankful that you have forgiven us and that you don't look back. We are so thankful. Help us to forgive others. It's not about if they deserve it or they don't. It's about forgiving. Because you have forgiven us a greater debt that we can never repay you. Help us, Lord. Because this can only be done. What is impossible for men is only possible for you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.